start this morning, just a reminder, if you have a sermon idea, please let me know. I've got some really good suggestions uh, over the past couple weeks, and, uh, you know, um, you'll probably, uh, I won't give credit to whoever uh, requested it, just in case you don't like that topic, you know? Um, with that, uh, on that, so that you, you know, uh, and some people would be horrified if I used their name. In, in a public setting like this, and I understand. So I try to be mindful, you know. Um, I realize uh, one of the unique things of our church is I do kind of just, as I scan, I may say your name. And that's a reminder of, I just see you right there. I don't mean to embarrass you, and I try to keep a list in my head of those who are embarrassed, but I know Larry isn't, and even if he is, he's my neighbor. He can always get back at me later. Uh, you know, and he will in a very kind way. That's why I love my neighbors, you know. Uh, uh, so, you know, I just kind of know that uh, with it. Uh, sorry if I try to uh, keep track of some things, uh, different fronts. Uh, I better put that over here so I can keep track uh, of what's going on. So, you know, give me some suggestions and ideas. You may. You may think it's no big deal, but that may be what I'm looking for as a confirmation of, okay, I'm not as crazy as I think I am, or because of this reason, okay? I may not be. And so, um, you know, and it can be very broad, or it can be very narrow in focus. Uh, but one of the things I like about the book of Psalms is typically they can be held in one, um, one week increments. Meaning, uh, for people who are kind of traveling, you don't have a sense that you may miss. If I did an eight-week series in the summer, then it would be hard to kind of get back in. And so, um, I don't know that I'll stick with songs uh, the whole summer, but uh, today we are going to be back in the songs uh, for that. But it's, and, and I think it's a good reminder, the songs remind us that words are powerful. The words we speak are powerful. The words that you hear, whether you uh, speak it to someone else or to yourself, the words that you let infiltrate your life are powerful. So who are you listening to? How are you listening? Are you listening to not just true words, but how are the true words spoken in our world? You can be a truth teller, but also how often say the truth. You know, uh, the psalmist says, I don't know what song, so if you want to fact check me, whether online or, or here, feel free to. The psalmist says, your words are sweeter than honey. What was that, Mark? 91. Okay, I knew somebody would know that, you know. Psalm 91, your words are sweeter than honey. See how powerful that word, those words are? A way of describing it, it reminds us that metaphors are powerful version of words. When someone say of you, your words are like honey. 19. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Fact check. I know. Uh, 19. You know, just between Psalm 1 and 145. Um, you know, it's somewhere in there multiple times. Metaphors are powerful. You know, when I work with some of you all with others, I try to find a, a, 
truly, I do sit while I listen to try to find a powerful metaphor that goes, wow, that's it. And scripture is full of those types of metaphors, full of powerful. So it's also a reminder, be careful what words you use to describe somebody else. You know, as the, uh, you know, the saying goes, what, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. No wonder James has some very tough words about words. With words, we can heal. With words, we can destroy. Which one is you? Because the psalmist will give us words that we can uh, listen to, that we can speak of. And they're going to be powerful, but we need to remember uh, it is most of the words of Psalms. This imagery this morning as we open up Psalm 23, it is a metaphor. We can't press it too much for the just the plain meaning. Because David wasn't trying to just say the plain words with it. Words are powerful, but we must also, as we, and, and this psalm is one of those that I think reminds us of this truth. Life clouds our ability to interact with Scripture. None of us, myself included, ever come to the words of Scripture very cleanly without some other, something else influencing Okay? It doesn't. And, and, and we need to just sometimes own that. My experience does cloud how I view Scripture. My job then is to make sure it's not doing that unintentionally. But I can be very deliberate of understanding that's what happens. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean the words aren't true. But it means that sometimes I have to work in a deeper, different way when I interact with Scripture. One of the ways for me is the imagery of God as Father can be very complicated for me. It doesn't take away from the meaning of what He said, but with my own history and background and story and trauma, it means something differently, you know, uh, than what I than what uh, others of you may experience. The words don't change, but life has clouded my ability at first to probably pick up on that. I would argue Psalm 23 is one of the one, because Psalm 23 is very well known. I mean, most people, even if they've never been in church long, probably know a version of Psalm 23. You know? Uh, and, and you have a version that plays in your head of, of it, the rhythm, the rhymes. But sometimes, depending on when you first heard that, is how you imagine this. And the power of metaphors is they can, they can do more than just a one-time thing. And what helps us, I think, at times to understand the Psalms in all of Scripture is context. And the context of, of Psalm 23 is Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, and you think, well, Duh, right? But a lot of times with the psalmist, we, we realize that they kind of stand alone. And we forget that not only did God inspire, this is my belief, inspire the words of David here, he also inspires the structure 
of things. Scripture isn't always chronological. Even in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they didn't just sit down and, and it's, not a, it's not a biography. Jesus did this and then this and then this. They have a movement in with And within the psalmist, it's organized in a way when they organized it for the nation of Israel. So that if you were to read or sing this in a worship setting, you would, you would remember Psalm 22 first. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you, delivered them. And would be bringing in the ears of those who would read Psalm 23. And then they would continue on, and as I read some of those words this morning, about how the Lord will bless those. He will save them, such as the generation of those who seek him. And it's tough in this context that the beginning words of Psalm 23 are, are important. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, according to uh, King James, which most of us know, or I lack nothing. What great words to hear. And we can quick, if we don't realize the symbolism, the metaphor that Paul is talking about, we think of just the agricultural setting, which is important. All of near, the Near Eastern ancient world was agricultural. But what, what Paul is not Paul is not saying he is a sheep in a lot of ways. See, because rulers and leaders across all cultures almost of that day were called shepherds. They realized that a ruler and a leader was to take on this metaphorical role as a shepherd, and the people were called the sheep of that leader. Hence why this is going to be a great song, picturing that of, of a leader who wants to know, can their leader, their shepherd and the Lord their God truly save them? Which is part of the words of Psalm 22. Is this a shepherd who can be trusted? The Lord is my leader. The Lord is my ruler. Is the Lord your ruler? Is the Lord your leader? That's tucked in with the words of David. Tucked into the nation of Israel is who is your leader? Who is the shepherd? If you do the devotions, which are on the back of the handout, those of you online, I forgot to put them there so far, so we'll get there hopefully. But God, time and time again, talks about shepherds not being after his own hearts. Ezekiel talks about coming at a time when God would be the rightful leader of his people. I would argue we are living in 
shepherds. If you are a leader of a group, you need to pick up this metaphor of being a shepherd. Whether you teach one of our times in preschool or others, or you're just leading your family, that gives us an idea of the role we are to play. In a world where there are many vying to be followed, there are many rulers and leaders, are there many shepherds? That is what we mean. Why? Because a true leader, it goes on to say, Yeah, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters, the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. A trusted leader, a shepherd, will provide. And God provides. He provides what you need. Now, some in our world today, and sometimes even in our own, we think that because we are in Christ that, and we will lack nothing, we get this list of needs and wants that we want. And what, is the, what David is not, was saying here is it doesn't guarantee upward mobility. It means the things you really need will be cared for. Shelter, food, Relationships, a hope, future. And see, to some extent, we need to be reminded that we, as God's people now, are called to live out this provision of God into the lives of others. And this is where, historically, the church has done really well in a lot of regards. We were the ones who provided housing for those who didn't have housing. We provided food for those who didn't have food. We provided education for those who, who were left uh, uneducated. We provided care. We became, we saw as the church, in part because of our understanding of who God is as someone who is to provide so people will get this idea that there is a leader they can trust. Is a leader they can trust. For some of us, we are starting to realize that there are many quote unquote leaders, but few can be trusted. Unfortunately, for many, they have started to find out time and time again that even spiritual leaders cannot be trusted. As People, pastors, have taken the status and the tool of power and used it for contrary things in Scripture. And we need to understand that for some, safety is not found in the church. But the hope is the church is you. We can start to shepherd them in a way that they will come back not to see a pastor or a church leader as someone to uh, be here or to, to uh, kind of trust, but God himself can be trusted. And that will take time and the sensitivity that is tucked in the metaphor of being a shepherd. To those around us. 
But not only will he provide, not only does God provide, God directs our path. A shepherd will lead the way, will, will help mark the path. It's not just about we might go here, but they will provide the ways to get there. God will direct our path. It says, he guides me along the right path, or the path of righteousness, both uh, have great imagery with it. For his name's sake. I think it needs to be said there is a right path. Our world may think there is not. And there may be times when the right path isn't as well known. But there is a right path. And whenever we allow the Lord to be the guide of our path, that is always the right path. And he is not silent about what he desires. See, talked in this imagery is we could be a sheep, but if the sheep doesn't want to go where the shepherd is leading, they are not going to be on the right path. And sometimes what seems to be the right path is not Jesus, put it this way, in one of the first four books of the New Testament. There's a path that seems wide, right? But wide is the path of destruction, and narrow is the path of life. What do we like about our highways and our roads? The bigger, the better. Because we can zip around, you know? What do, uh, you know, we're kind of past the point, but what do people in our area get upset about uh, in late spring and then again in fall? Our farmers, how dare they get in the field again and they drive in that slow tractor, right, Arthur? I mean, if you could only get your tractor up to 60, we'd be all right. Yeah. And how many times have you and I seen, you know, that car go past? And you're going, oh my. You know? Oh my. But sometimes it is that narrow path that though it may not seem right, gets us to where we need to go safely. Hold and hold. One of the other reasons though we like wide paths is you can see what's coming around the corner. You know, that's the beauty of a, of, you know, a three-lane three highway, you know, with a little bit of a median, another three-lane. You can see fully what is ahead of you, if you want. But see, in the path of life, in the path of Jesus, the path does get narrow. It does get small at times. And that is where we realize the words of the next phrase. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, we are reminded that in life, darkness lurks. Darkness is on a crowd. You never know what may be around. You just see something dark. The word here is a very interesting word that means we talk about valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley or the darkness of darkness or the shadowy of the shadowies. All different ways of translating. There's great debate about those. I 
think sometimes does that not describe God? Darkness of darkness. I mean, there's darkness. And then there are times of darkness of darkness. What is that for you? Maybe you, like many of us, have done your bills at the end of the month and you're wondering, I mean, with everything being gas at $5 a gallon, is, are we going to make it? There can be a darkness set in there. For some of you, it's a physical illness in, in that you're not quite sure. Things aren't progressing as you would like. Maybe it's relationship, that once trusted relationship. They've proven to be untrustworthy. Now You invested the time, the energy to be left home. What is your darkness? Why? What's there? See, because when we start to see this, we see a little bit of what's going on in the mind of David. He just came out of Psalm 22, a dark psalm to begin with. This is the psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross, a dark time of darkness. And we are reminded that though darkness works, Jesus is still there. And because of the presence of Jesus, we will fear no evil. It's not, do not be afraid. It is, I got somebody with me. You know, one of the things about Ariana, I love and I loathe at the same time, depending on the night, is, you know, she one, wants to have a bunch of lights on. You know, her room, there's always a light or two. You know, she doesn't like the darkness. I get that. You know, one of the things I love is most of the time she'll fall asleep with me or Alicia nearby. And I love it because they can be snuggles. And then I love it because that means I have to get out of bed and put it back in. I mean, she's a big. But she can go through the darkness that she experiences. Why? Because somebody is there. Sometimes the path of the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors, to our families, is not to remove them from the situation, but to walk with them in the situation. I will walk with you in the darkness. The role of a shepherd or a trusted leader sometimes is to kick the person ahead or behind you to take the leader for the sake of another. So let me ask this. Who's walking with you? Who do you have walking with you? You may be in a wide open road. Life may be good. There may not be darkness working for you. But if you don't invest in somebody to walk with you now when life is good, when it becomes dark, you will look around and you won't see anything. At the same time, who are you walking with? And maybe they don't know it. That's the value of community. That's the value of, of groups. And groups that, that trust the Lord. 
We do not fear, for he is with us, and Jesus is able to defeat any enemy. How do we know that? He defeated death. He took death by the horns, and he said, you don't get the final say. This is why, to some extent, we read this psalm at funerals, and I do that at times, not always. But we are reminded that Jesus has the tools available to defeat anything and everything. You say, well, I'm still sick. I've not been healed. That relationship hasn't been restored. That may be true. But Jesus one day will make all things right. Jesus will one day make all things perfect. You and I think we understand perfection. We may be surprised at what perfection really looks like. Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally. But what we see here is not just a God that is capable and, and, and outside and so far big that Psalm 22 kind of pictures. We see a God that is actively involved. Thy rod, thy staff. They guide me. They comfort me. We know the capabilities. And we can trust that He can provide. And He will guide. And He can protect. And then we get this idea of God as the ultimate host. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. And, and, and in those days, if you were to sit down at a table with someone, it wasn't just like going to a restaurant and being in the same space. This was a personal, intimate, I want you to know me, I want to know you type of a thing. And God is the one who sets it up. See, sometimes we forget, I think, this aspect of God. We forget that he deeply wants to be involved in our lives. He deeply cares. Because sometimes the darkness will say, there isn't anyone guiding me. And the psalmist is pointing to us, no, no, no. There's a table being presented for you. No wonder John, in the writing of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, talks about the great wedding feast of the Lamb. And it is after those words we hear God says, You are my people, and I am your God. He sets it up. It also reminds us, I think, sometimes of our status here. It's not that we get to come to the table of our own initiative. It is the host saying, you are invited at my table. Not because you deserve it, but because of who I am. But also tucked in this, this phrase here, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. There was this idea in the ancient Near Eastern culture that if two kingdoms were allies of each other, that, uh, say, the one kingdom, Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt would go and meet the king of Israel, and they, on the battlefield, would eat a meal together. Because there were rules of war back then, too. 
Okay? And what the enemy must have noticed is not only are we fighting Israel, we are fighting Egypt. Do I want to fight Egypt as well? We have an enemy, we not. Not flesh and blood, as Paul would say, spiritual forces. But it is as if God, and it isn't as if God is, he's prepared a table, and we were sitting at the table, and he's letting the enemy, the Satan, say, look, you're going to pick a fight with one of my holy ones, you're picking a fight with me. You know what my job then is? Hey, go, go fight my, my, my ally here. <clears throat> hey, God, I need your help. Hey, they're picking on me again. That's what this imagery is. It's not just about abundance, but it's the fact that God is saying through the psalmist that I'm on your side. Not because we are right. It has to come through the chief shepherd himself. But it's a, this, these words are a proclamation that God is saying, I've, I've made a contract with this person. Pick on him and pick on me. You know, growing up, because I had two siblings, especially with my sister, I used to, and I still do, just put a bundle sometimes, pick on him ruthlessly. It's great. I love it. But you know what? There was an unwritten rule, at least for my brother, sister, and I. What we could do to one another, nobody else could do. You know, um, my sister has never uh, married as of yet. Who knows what the Lord has in store? But I can tell you, the last thing the, the man that is going to try to marry her has to worry about is what she says to him. Because I've got my own questions. And it was interesting, and in some of the relationships my sister's had, she won't tell me who it is. She, she goes, one time she goes, I know what you're going to do. Good. Good. I may be a pastor, but I'm a brother, too. And, and we have to see that to some extent here. And then he goes on to say, Surely God's character, his goodness and his love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What he is saying here, I believe, is God's presence is our refuge. He talks about the house of the Lord. And for the nation of Israel, that was the sanctuary, the presence of God. Tucked within the Old Testament, there was this path of, if you did something unintentionally, or you needed refuge, you needed asylum from somebody harassing you, your job was to run to the temple as fast as you can, grab the horns that was on the altar of sacrifice, and proclaim, God is my refuge, God is my refuge. And if that was true, then you were to be no, you were not to be harmed while you were in the presence of God. However, you weren't allowed to call, call or you weren't allowed to claim refuge in God if you were truly at fault, intentionally. You weren't going to use God's refuge for your own gain. And when you were there, in the temple of God, you noticed the goodness, the love, the promise-keeping heart of who God is. 
To dwell in the house of the Lord is to be in God's presence, where there is always refuge. No wonder it became known as a sanctuary. A powerful word that maybe we need to reclaim. Again, not sanctuary in just the religious connotations, but sanctuary in this idea of safety, of security. I can be who I am, not that who I am is correct, because who God is is the only correct, right path, but it is there we will see the goodness and the love of God. And so, may the words of this song call you to claim the refuge that is found in God and God alone. Jesus would pick up on this metaphor, this imagery, when he says in John 10, 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The sheep will listen to my voice. I have sheep that's not of this pen, meaning not of the nation of Israel. You and I as Gentiles, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full, or as I like to interpret it, or life as it was meant to be. Which also means there are moments of darkness. But we can cling to the light of the world. One of my favorite promises. Darkness tried to overcome it, but could not. And so, sometimes all I gotta do is cling to his love and say, You are my refuge, you are my refuge, you are my refuge. Am I saying that for him? No, I'm saying it for me. And sometimes that's the word you need to say today. So let me ask you, is Christ your shepherd and leader? Is he really your shepherd and leader? I'm not just talking about salvation, though that's a starting point. Maybe you don't know Jesus is Lord. We need to talk. Because he will guide you on path, the right path. But you know, we need to be reminded of God being our leader each and every day. Are you allowing him to guide you today? Because he will give you what you need today. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure how. But I, I promise you something will be there. But will you submit? Think of this. The king of the nation of Israel had to humble himself to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Will you humble yourself today? See, you can't get the blessings of everything else you can't try to claim the promises of God if you're not willing to submit to the ways of God. Is Jesus the leader today? We have many leaders vying for our time and attention. We have many voices vying for us to hear. But will you hear the voice of the Lord? Will you listen? And will you say, 
Here I am. Move me. If you need to move me. Keep me still, still. If I need to head still. I just want to be like you. Amen. When we do that, I think our world will go, wow. What amazing love. How can it be? Why would, why would he love me so? And then we will be able to say, he loves you so because he created you. He cares for you. And he will lead you on the right path for his name's sake. May it be true of you and me this day. We pray with you, Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you that we can look at this song and we can prepare our hearts to be led this week. Though we may go through dark times this week, we know that you are with us. And so that you as the light of the world will overcome. And we understand that you love us so much that, that you uh, died on a cross and you're willing to call us your own and you're willing to dwell with us, be always present with us. So truly, we know that goodness, mercy, love, truth will follow us all the days because we take you with us wherever we go. Wow. All the earth is yours, and yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, you choose to be with us. We thank you for that amazing love this day. Be with us now. As we conclude this time of worship, may we continue to do it in spirit and in truth. In the name of the Father, the Son.